Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis at support.greatdetectives.net. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month by just going to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Sam Spade, the original air date, April the 27th, 1951, and the title is The Hail and Farewell Caper. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Say. Oh, Sam. I'll take it easy. The papers are on the street. I saw them. So did I. There'll be some red-faced editors ducking behind their green eye shades tomorrow. What do you mean, Sam? You don't print up the score until the returns are all in, F. This applies to presidential elections, boxing matches, and executions at San Quentin Prison. Sam, you mean Willie? I mean Willie. Batten down the hatches and turn over your foam rubber cushion, Wonder Girl, for even now I'm homeward bound with a stride-by-stride account of a 12-hour marathon, which I shall call, for obvious reasons, the hail and farewell caper. Transcribed for NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all, starring Stephen Dunn in The Adventures of Sam Spade. I've been robbed. Heffy? Sam? Brought in here this minute. Oh, yes, sir. Have I done something? That's what I was about to ask. Have you been sticking your delightful, freckled-covered, upturned little nose into my schnapps bottle? <laughs> well, answer me, girl. Sam, you know I don't do... All right, then who? Well, the nervous little man who was here did open the drawer to find a pencil and paper and, and leave a note. Okay, you're clear. Oh, Sam... What about the little man? A good and leading question, F. Shall we attempt an answer? Oh, I'm at the ready, Sam. Shoot. Date, fill it in. To Justice Edward Benjamin, State Supreme Court from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the hail and farewell caper. Dear Justice Benjamin. My relationship with the spindly little man goes clear back to a week ago, Thursday. Possibly even before that. But that was the day I first noticed him. I remember it was Thursday because I was having corned beef and cabbage at Schroeder's. With him, it was a glass of water at the next table. He was paying little mind to the menu, having decided to spend the lunch hour staring at me. A couple of times, he put down his glass of water and pushed back his chair as if he were going to come over and talk. But he changed his mind. I put away the corned beef and cabbage and was halfway past the pie when he finally did it. Uh, excuse me, sir. Hello. You, uh... You, sir, are Mr. Spade? I am. The uh, detective, Sam Spade, detective agent? At your service, sir. Now, what can I... I, uh, I, uh, you see, I, uh, do you have a match? I gave him a match, and he thanked me and went out. On Friday, I saw him in Ben's grotto over a plate of wrecked soul. 
We got just about as far, then he returned the match he owed me. The following week, I saw him four times. Once as I was going into a show, once at the post office, and twice as I was going into my office building. Each was the same. We'd get up to the point where he was about to tell me something, then he'd back down and ask me what time it was, or did I have a horse in the fifth at Golden Gate, or would I lend him a cigarette? Then he'd bustle off as fast as his spindly little legs could carry. And thus matters stood yesterday. Place, my office, time, 1.37 p.m. Sam Spade. Mr. Spade, this, this, this is a gentleman who... who yeah, is... don't tell me I know the voice. Now, what is it this time? I... Like to see you, Mr. Spade. I must see you. I know. I'll save us both a trip. The it date is, is April 26th. The time is 1.38 p.m. It, All it trains, really planes, and streetcars are leaving on schedule. And for the favor to Golden Gate tomorrow, consult your nearest please, bookie. Please, sir. Please, Mr. Spade. Please, do not jest. This is a matter of life and death. I see. Fine. Then I'll see you tomorrow for lunch, huh? I won't be here, Mr. Spade. Oh, where'll you be? Dead. Dead. Look, look, I'm tired of this, I'm, I'm Mr. Spinley. Give it to me straight or sign off. Now, what is it? You've got to listen to me, Mr. Spade. It's most important. It's a life or death. It's a life... Hello? Mr. Spinley? Hello? It almost seemed as if he were in earnest this time, so I didn't hang up. I hustled down the hall to the next office, found another phone, and sweet-talked the supervisor into tracing down Mr. Spinley. It was a pay booth in a drugstore opposite the Park Emergency Hospital. The clerk in the drugstore was just getting over it when I punched in. Spindley had collapsed in the booth and had been hauled across the street to the hospital. On the bed there. Oh, thanks, doctor. Life and death, Mr. Spade. Terrible. You've got to stop it. It's murder. He's been legal muttering murder. like that ever since we brought I him in. Yeah, hop, huh? The legal kind. You see before you an overdose of sleeping tablets. You mean he tried to kill himself? I can't think of an easy way anyone could feed him two full bottles, can you? Pull through? Probably. I gave him a good pumping. Don't let them do it. Don't. Don't. All right. It's murder. Right. Now, murder. now, Mr. Doe, don't carry on so. But I know who did it. I, I, you must stop him. All right. All right. I, I know who is it. Take it easy. I, He's got a lot of strength for a little guy. Mr. Doe, huh? No name. Nothing to identify him. Funny thing, that. What do you mean? I'd almost guarantee the man's undernourished, hasn't eaten for days, shabby clothes and so on. Yet look at the roll I found in his pocket. Hmm? How much? Almost $800. Hmm, Did you find anything else? Yeah, this. What do you make of it? Well, front page of the Star Times. It's a galley proof, isn't it? Kind of run off in the linotype room before they start the presses. Yeah. Killer dies tonight. Willie Johnson, hitchhike murderer, to enter gas chamber at midnight. Innocent, innocent man. It's, right. it's murder. It's murder. Down you go, Mr. Doe. But, but I know who did it, sir. I know everything. I, uh, everything. I know. A frame. It's a skillful frame. You mean Willie Johnson? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I know who it was. It was, it was hail and farewell, sir. Hail who was it? Come on, Mr. Doe, wake up. Mr. Doe. Yeah. I was waiting for that. Hit him? Like a ton of bricks. He'll be incommunicado over the next 24 hours or longer. Hail and farewell. A broken down actor. Huh? Only an actor would think more of an exit line than an innocent man's neck. You mean you believe he knows I don't that? know what I believe. The guy's been trailing me for 10 days, driving himself nuts, tries to knock himself off. It's a cinch he believes it. Hmm. Well, there's no chance of bringing him around before tomorrow. Yes, and Willie Johnson dies tonight. So what happens? So I'm stuck for taxi fare to San Quentin. Mr. Spade, 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 Mr. Spade,
believe in him? Believe in Willie Johnson? Yeah, I know you're his lawyer, Mr. Grayson. I'm I... his lawyer because I volunteered to serve you, Mr. Spade. I've been in the law a long, long time. I've defended a lot of phonies. Sometimes you've got to if you want to eat. They all sing the same song. I was framed. Oh, I know all 89 verses. But Willie... Yeah? Willie's song is different. Because Willie Johnson's an innocent man. Willie was framed. Mm. Four appeals. Four appeals, four stays. And we've had our last one. It's folded up now, Spade. I'm going to take the walk with him at midnight. So do something for me, will you? Sure, sir. When... When you walk into a cell, remember you're talking to a man who's going to die in less than eight hours. We're trying to... We're trying to build his spirit up so he can go out with colors flying, you know? Yeah. Don't give him a lot of false hopes, Spade. Because... Because there isn't any... I don't quite understand, Mr. Spade, sir. I've told my story so many times. I, uh, I'd like to write something about you for the papers, Willie. Oh, yes, sir. But all the newspaper gentlemen been here and gone. Yeah, I know. Could you tell it just once more, Willie? Well, all right, sir. More than a year ago, I guess you know that. Yeah. I was broke, you know. Mm. Things hadn't been going so well, sir. I was down to my last two bits that night. I walked into Sherry Dugan's. That's the bar on the waterfront, huh? Yes, sir. I got to talking with a fella sitting at the bar there. He bought me beer. Who was he? I never did find his name. I ain't seen him since that night. If I could find him, I don't reckon I, I'd be where I am, sir. Mm. He had a paper with him. Was reading the classified ad section. You know the part about Otto's transportation so on? Yeah. Well, there was an ad there. I'd say, we'll pay $500 plus expenses to drive car to Mexico City with a phone number. Mm-hmm. And the fella said if he were my shoes, he'd call up and inquire. So I did. I inquired. And I got the job. Well, sir, about an hour later, I met a man with a car at Southern Mason by the gas station there. And he gave me the 500, and I start out for Mexico City. Who was he, Willie? Never found his name, either. We tried, too, Mr. Grayson. Me. Never could find him. I see. Well, it, it was raining that night, sir. I remember. Raining. And I hadn't gotten more than 50 miles south of town, somewhere around Morgan Hill, it was. Hmm. When siren blew off behind me, and the first thing I knew, well, they was asking me questions about a girl. A girl named Georgia Lyon. Uh-huh. It was her car, it seems, and the, the officer claimed I stole it. They, they made me raise my arms, and they, they searched me, and, and there was a knife in my pocket, you see, with, with blood on it. Uh-huh. They, and I, I don't know how it got there, and the $500, that had blood on it, too. And, and there was blood on the seat. And, and, and when they opened the turtle back, there she was. This Georgia line, I told you. Mm. All double up there and dead, and they they said I'd done it for the money in the car, and I, I, I guess I just went crazy, Mr. Spade, with uh, with this all coming at me at once that way. You see, I, I tried to make a break for it, and I got away. And uh, I know I knew it was a terrible wrong thing to do. I know that. Yeah, what about the trial, Willie? Well, sir, Mr. Grayson done everything in his power, mm. and, and so did I. Mm. He told the truth as close as I could recollect it, but... It didn't make no sense. We never found a man in a bar or the man who drove up in the car. 
What about the phone number in the ad? Oh, that, that turned out to be a fancy dress. That turned out to be a fancy dress shop on Powell Street called uh, Mason Francine. Mm-hmm. And the classified ad, sir, that, that was the queerest thing of all. Well, what do you mean? Well, Mr. Grayson went through every newspaper in the country for two weeks either side of the night, and there wasn't any such ad in any of them. Huh? So they said I was lying. They said I was lying. I made it all up I, in my head. Now, now they're going to kill me for it. Yeah. I don't know, Mr. Spade. I've heard it so long now. Maybe I did kill her. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. But there was something in the way he said, maybe they're right. I told you they were wrong. I thanked him and told him I had what I wanted for my story and said goodbye. There was no hope in his face, but no despair either. He knew what was coming and he was ready. And that's all. I hit the homeward-bound commuters on the wrong side of the Golden Gate Bridge, so it was almost seven when I checked in at Cherry Dugan's bar on the waterfront. A girl was sitting three stools down from me, a class-type dame in a black file suit from Magnum, and a hat that must have set some good-time Charlie back 50 bucks. That's the kind of a dame you'd expect to be sitting in Cherry Dugan's, least of all as drunk as she was. Well, here you are, Jack. Sixty cents. Thank you. Wait, wait a minute. Huh? This is a one-man operation, isn't it? Mm, yes, why? Well, then you'd be Sherry Dugan, huh? <laughs> no, no, I, I bought the joint from Sherry a few months back. Why? Well, I'm, uh, I'm doing a story for the papers on Willie Johnson. Tell me, was Sherry here on the big night? Oh, yes, 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 only Willie Johnson wasn't. You could look it up, what Sherry testified. Where is he now? Oh, South America. And there he'll stay. You know why? Why? Sherry has brains. For a man in his shoes, there's no better place right now than South America. Oh? Well, tell me more. He needed a rest the worst way, Sherry did. After all, he's been through. Tending bar can be difficult at times, right, Tim? Uh, yes, indeed, yes, indeed. Show me a good bartender and I'll show you a barn diplomat. And more besides. Mm-hmm. Now here's the Sherry, wherever he is. Keep running, Sherry. Keep running. You know, Sherry's like a dog running away from a can tied to his tail. We all are. Who's we? All of us. All of us. The world. Give me another drink, Tim. Oh, now, listen, lady. I don't think I'd better, you Don't give me any lip. This is a first-class wake, isn't it? A send-off for Willie, isn't it? Poor. Marilyn, what are you doing here? Oh, just in time, George. Sit down. Come on, we're going home. Take your time, George. Two of the members present, one more. We'll have a quorum. Pour him a drink, Tim. You want me to carry you out of here? It'd be fun. Where's Daddy? Facing the floor. Now, come on. You know something, George. You've got a can tied to your tail, too. No use running, George. Oh, you're out of your head. Whatever made you come here? Kind of appropriate, don't you think? Special night tonight. Black dress. All fixings. Gonna have us awake. Not here we aren't. Are you coming? Nope. All right. Where where are we going? Going home. Bye, Timmy. And you, whoever you are. Hey, wait a minute. How about... Hold it, hold it. How much does she owe you? That's $3.45. Here. It's worth it. Now tell me, who is she? Oh, it's a model. Some dress shop uptown. Oh? Like the Maison Francine, for instance? 
Yeah. How'd you know? That's the hunch. What's her name? Oh, Marilyn Hale. Her old man runs the Star Times, you know, the publisher. Yeah. The guy is his partner, George Farewell. You must have heard of the firm Hale and Farewell. I had, but it was a slightly different reading from the one Mr. Spinley gave me at the hospital. I looked at my watch. Willie was four and a half hours from the end of the line when I took off for the press room at the Star Times. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. chimes mean good times on NBC. There's fun and music for you tomorrow evening with the Dennis Day Show. There'll be songs by Dennis and another typical tangled comedy situation, the kind of hilarious mix-up that could happen only to Dennis Day. And now, back to the hail and farewell caper, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Time, 8-11. I got out of the elevator in the basement of the Star Times building on Mission Street and started looking for the press room foreman, somebody named Joe Fortescue. I finally found his feet sticking out from under a sick linotype, hauled him out, and tried to make him understand what I wanted. Yeah, I know, I know who you mean. I know, a little bandy-legged guy. That... Can't hear you. I say, I say, he's a little bandy-legged guy. That... Yeah, that's the guy. Hello, what about him? Come on. Go ahead, you first. Ah, now, who is he? Oh, Charlie Forrest, he's not... I know, but that's not what I can... Been off his rocker for a year. Look, you see that picture on the wall over your head? Yeah. That's Mr. Hale, the Iron Fist. Oh. Won't tolerate no inefficiency, you understand? But this screwball, this Charlie Forrest, I personally can him twice, and both times Iron Fist sends him back to me. Yeah. So, so, don't make no never mind to me, brother. Leave him come to work, Stuart, all the time. Leave him lay off for two straight weeks like this time. Uh, don't make no never mind. Yeah, yeah, now look, I'm up with you now. How long's Charlie been this way? Oh, a year or so. I know just when it started. When Willie Johnson was hauled in on the hitchhiking killing, right? Oh, you've been talking to Charlie, huh? Yeah. Well, funny thing how that hit him. You'd find him sitting in a corner by himself, mumbling all the time about the guy being innocent. Mm. What do you suppose Charlie had to do with that? Oh, I don't know. Got real crazy toward the end, you know. Said he was killing Willie Johnson. And you'd ask him with what? And he'd say a linotype machine and a hunk of newsprint. One day he even offered to prove it, you know. How? Oh, I don't know. He said he had proof. He said he had the evidence that would save Willie's neck. It in his room. Boy, he was the office trolley. Look, I've got to find out where he lives. They don't know upstairs. I don't know. We don't know downstairs, neither. He moved out of his apartment three weeks back, and don't nobody know where he went. Look, he was in this morning. Picked up a galley proof of page one. Uh, That's right. Yeah. I'll tell you who might know where to find him. Oh, come on, come on. About 10 o'clock, he leave here. Said he was going to look him up. Somebody, uh, Somebody named Spade. Thanks. Sam Spade. He's a detective. That remains to be seen. A message, Sam? A bandy-legged little guy named Charlie Forrest, F. He must have been in around 10, 10.30 this morning. Oh, dear, I didn't get here till 11. Uh, They're still clearing stuff off the tracks from the MacArthur reception. Yeah, never mind that now. Listen, write this down. Oh, oh, where did I find a piece of paper? Hurry up. Here, under the ashtray. Yeah. Go ahead, Sam. Call Jeremy Grayson. He's a lawyer, and he's with Willie Johnson in the death row at Quentin. 
Tell him to get hold of a justice on the state Supreme Court and hold the line open while I get him. You got that? Yes, sir. Is there anything else? No, I'll get back to you in a little while. Sam, we gotta go hang up. What's the matter? <gasps> this paper I'm writing on under the ashtray. It's a note. Well, go ahead. Mr. Spade, please contact me at once. Charles W. Forrest, Bellflower Hotel, 338 Stockton Street. It took 20 more minutes to cross town and 10 on top of that to convince the clerk at the Bellflower I had a right to the key to Charlie's room, which I had not. I tossed the room from the light fixture to the floorboards, covered everything from the window shades to the bathroom plumbing. Result, one batch of dirty laundry, six soggy cigarettes, and two empty bottles of sleeping pills. I was on my way out when I remembered one more thing. It wasn't an accident like in the movies. It was on purpose. I unscrewed the tops of the iron bedposts. Inside number three, I found it. There was a payphone at the end of the dark hallway. Sam, I warned you about this. We've had four stays. They won't come through with the fifth. I've got a fair whole card, Grayson. Did you get the judge? Yeah, Benjamin, State Supreme Court. What'd he say? What I knew he'd say. No evidence, no stay. Tell him I got evidence. It better be good, Sam. It is. A phony newspaper, a copy of the Star Times for the night of the murder with a special page in the classified section carrying the ad that Willie answered. How does that sound? You've got it now? Yeah. Well, for Pete's sake, hang on to it. I'll get back to the judge. Say, wait a minute, who, uh, who's behind it? It's a long story. I'll tell you when I see you. Hang up. Uh, when you what? Spade. Spade. Hang up or I'll kill you. Spade. That's it. You can turn around now. Well, Iron Fist. We've met. I've seen your picture, Mr. Hale. It flattered me, no doubt. Give it to me. What? The paper, stupid. I haven't read the funnies. All right, Mr. Spade, if you'd rather. Iron Fist knew other games besides publishing. He moved up, I went for the gun, which suddenly wasn't there, and he was giving me a fast demonstration of judo for beginners. First thing you know, I was sprawled on the floor, and he was looking down at me along the barrel of his thirty-eight. <laughs> I could kill you, I suppose, but why? Why? He backed off toward the window, spread out the paper, and crumbled it up. Now. You know what you're doing with that match, Hale. Shut up. You're burning Willie Johnson at the stake. I said you're... shut up. He touched the match to the pile of papers, watched them flare suddenly, lighting up the entire hallway. He looked like a medieval devil. I'm sorry about Willie Spade, but it has to be, that's all. It has to be. What did you have to do with Georgia Lyon? Nothing. Nothing at all. And her name wasn't Georgia Lyon, really. It was her stage name. No. Her real name was Farewell. Your partner's wife? Why, Spade, didn't you read the testimony at the trial? She was leaving George that night. She'd made a noble decision to walk out of his life and leave him free. For your daughter, huh, Marilyn? That's right. And it was such a tragedy Georgia had to run into Willie Johnson the very night she left. Wasn't it, Spade? <laughs> Wasn't it? He bent over the fire, watched it die down into a pile of ashes. I was looking at something else. A draft from the stairwell behind me had picked up a glowing scrap and set it down at the foot of a sleazy window curtain behind him. <laughs> well, that's it, Spade. The last of Willie Johnson. The last of... I hit him at the knees as the curtain went up in a blinding flash. No judo this time, just an old-fashioned hammerlock. Let me go! Come on, give me that gun. No! I'll break your arm, Hale. I'll break your arm. Well, that's better. Now get up. Get up! Hale, stop! Hale! 
caught him in the leg as he hit the top of the stairway. He took off like an eagle, lit on his neck halfway down, and toppled the rest of the way like a loose packed sack of laundry. He was dead when I got to him. Score, with an hour and five minutes to play, no evidence, one dead witness, one unconscious one, one killer, an accomplice at large. There was only one way left to go, and I took it. Please. George Farewell's apartment. That's the penthouse. Yeah, is he home? Oh, I don't know what's the matter up there, sir. I, I think something's wrong, awfully wrong. Mm-hmm. He went up there early this evening with a young lady, and the door to the roof is locked at the eighth floor. That's never happened before. Any other way up? Well, you might try the fire escape if it's urgent. It is. So I climbed the fire escape at the eighth floor and went up onto the roof, or rather into George Farewell's patio. I worked my way through a maze of potted shrubbery around a fish pond with a fountain in the middle. Piano music was coming through a pair of French doors. But before I saw where the music was coming from, I knew it was the radio and not the piano. Because the piano, a 14-foot grand, had George Farewell sprawled across the keyboard with a bullet through his head. I crossed to the set of French doors on the other side of the house. There I saw her, standing up on the three-foot parapet surrounding the roof, looking eight floors down into the street. Don't come any closer. You're not really going to jump, Marilyn. He did it his way. I'm going to do it mine. Don't come any closer. Don't. I won't. So George shot himself, huh? Why not? Can't go through life with a can tied to your tail. No running away from that. No, there isn't. Well, you're going to jump? Give me time. Oh, you want to do it the dramatic way, don't you, Marilyn? Only 35 minutes left until Willie checks out over at the... Shut up, will you shut up? And to make it really ironic, you'll want to take off before he does, right? The one person left who can save him. I talked to Willie, Marilyn. He must hate the world. He doesn't hate anybody. Poor jerk. I think he'd feel even sorrier for you, throwing your own life away while you can still save his. You can't run away from this tin can, but you can untie it. You can climb down off that wall and ride over to Quinton with me. You can tell him George Farewell killed his wife. That the three of you and the little linotyper made a pigeon out of Willie. Ah. I held my breath. She swayed, looked down into the street, poising herself. Then she turned round and stepped onto the roof again. Let's go. Congratulations. Yeah. Only George Farewell didn't stab his wife that night. I did. We pulled up at Quentin with six minutes to spare. The foregoing Justice Benjamin is submitted in support of the stay of execution granted Willie Johnson and will be set forth in detail in Mr. Grayson's petition for a new trial. Period. End of report. Gee, Willie can say What can I say? Well, I have one constructive suggestion. I could say you're the greatest, finest, most wonderful... Yes, but you'd only be repeating yourself, Cherub. The proper line at this moment is, I shall have the report ready for you immediately following the next announcement. Right? Scoot. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. 
Listen to the stars on this Sunday's big show. Jimmy Durante, Ethel Merman, Milton Berle, and Gordon McRae, plus Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. Your MC on the big show, of course, is the glamorous Tallulah. You're invited. Oh, yeah, yeah. What are you writing, Sam? Well, look, how's this? Man of the world, dashing, debonair, cosmopolitan, temporarily at liberty, desires employment. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Thank you. What does it mean? Yeah. All right, we'll drop it down a few notches. Private investigator, accomplished raconteur, will tell troubles to listening public. Nice telephone voice. Contact Sam Spade, 1 East 48th Street, New York. 1 East 48th Street? Yeah, my address during the summer months, Cherub. You got it? 1 East 48th Street, mm-hmm. New York City. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe a lot of people will write, Sam. I'm sure they will. Think so? There'll always be a Samuel Spade Incorporated. Will there? Look ahead. Smile through the tears, Sam. I am. The day will come soon again when... When the when... phone will ring and you will say... Spade Detective Agency. Yes, and I will say, <laughs> me, sweetheart, buck up, old girl, stout fella, stiff upper lip, good show. Not goodbye, but oh, reward, Sam. Hail and farewell. Good night, sweetheart. Tonight's transcribed adventure of Sam Spade was produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn, Lorene Tuttle as Effie. Also in the cast were Junius Matthews, Olin Soleil, Wally Mayer, Sidney Miller, Kathy Lewis, Paul Fries, Ed Max, and Lou Merrill. Script for tonight's adventure by Harold Swanton. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Welcome back. First of all, was there ever a better name for a series finale to a radio detective program than The Hail and Farewell Caper? Admittedly, most detective programs didn't know they were coming to an end or didn't really choose to mark the ending but this is about perfect as an exit line. And while the series had its ups and downs over the previous 23 weeks, I think this episode's end things on a high note. And we get Sam in a race against time to save a man from death, and it avoids being cliched, even though there are quite a few stories that have that basic plot. We get some tense action, but in the end... Spade's relentlessness and strength of character ultimately leads to getting the killer to confess and saving the life of an innocent man. Having listened to Steve Dunn's whole run, I can't help but feel he's a bit underrated by old-time radio fans, overshadowed by Howard Duff's iconic performance in the same way that John Lund is overshadowed by Bob Bailey's superlative take on the character of Johnny Dollar. Playing Sam Spade was the best opportunity of Dunn's career, and he put 
everything into it. After an episode or so of settling into uh, playing Sam Spade, he made the role his own and rose to the occasion with every script. While sometimes the scripts let him down and the quality wasn't quite at the level it was when Dowd and Tolman were writing Spade, there was really nothing more that Dunn could have done to make the show a success. The final episode includes a light pitch for return, though not quite as strong as what listeners heard on the last Howard Duff episodes. Like most such uh, requests at the end of a series, it wasn't successful. The political angle may have been why the show didn't draw a sponsor, or at least part of it. The idea that you can spend years hyping the link between an author and a radio series and undo that association by dropping mention of the author seems silly. And it could be the association with Hammett may have kept sponsors away even if the award Dunn received a few weeks previously indicated it didn't really keep audiences away. However, being 1951 may be explanation enough. Television began to outpace radio and advertising revenue for the first time. Programs like Tales of the Texas Ranger, The Man Called X, and The New Adventures of Nero Wolf all struggled with gaining consistent sponsors, and none had any political baggage. Nero Wolf was canceled after a similar number of episodes without being able to draw a sponsor. Don would continue to have an active career Throughout the 1950s and into the 1960s, he starred in a sitcom called uh, Professional Father. He hosted three different game shows, including a primetime version of Truth or Consequences. The daytime version was hosted by the late Bob Barker. And he actually got another chance to play a detective in the syndicated TV series The Brothers Brannigan, which just has one of the best TV openings you've ever heard. I'd encourage you to check that out on your own on YouTube if you're curious. Yet all of these efforts were short-lived and would run for a season or less. During the rest of his time, Don made guest appearances on a variety of TV shows and played small parts in films, which would become his bread and butter through the rest of the 60s and into the early 70s. While we're done with the uh, Stephen Dunn era, we're not quite done with Sam Spade as we have a Howard Duff uh, home recording and one more adaptation of the Maltese Falcon. Yet for now, I think it's fitting to salute Dunn on a solid farewell to his best role. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to BookGeek28, Patreon supporter since December of 2021, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We will be back next Monday with another adventure of Sam Spade, but join us back here tomorrow for the start of this week's Johnny Dollar Serial, where... ...the living room window saw this prowler holding a gun on Mrs. Palmquist. 
The doctor got into the house quietly and was sneaking up from behind when the prowler heard him and got rattled. The prowler fired and killed the woman just as the doc brought a paperweight down on his head. Nice, huh? A little out of left field. Funny, I always thought prowlers and gunmen are two different things. Nothing says it can't happen, and the evidence says it did. What does that mean? That this is one prowler who's sewn up tight, because everything checks out. The thirty-eight is his, his prints are on it. Lab found the lock he forced to get in. What else you want, a moving picture? Well, don't get mad, don't get mad. I'm just asking. Now, that house call the doctor was out on, I'm a stranger in town, but isn't that kind of a late hour to see a patient, unless it's a real emergency? Not when they look like this one. Oh? I checked with her this morning. She could make me go to medical school right now, even at this age. Nice, huh? Put it this way. Her first name ought to be Marilyn. Well, that's pretty clear. Who is she? A Mrs. Laura Considine. 35, widow, money, and everyone should look like that. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.